Let me pray for us and we will begin. Holy Spirit of God, we do ask that you breathe into us understanding for this text, that you breathe into us a care and a, a love and a passion, Lord, to know your word, to study it, but more than anything else, to experience afresh our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And Lord, give us tools for the way in which we live out our lives, in which we show your love to other people. Thank you for the scripture this morning. Thank you for the facilitator's ministry and the meals, Lord. Thank you for Melinda and um, her organizing this. And if we have the gift of, of cooking and meal making, may we be a part of this great ministry. And I ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. If you do want Melinda's email, let me know and I, I can send it to you, um, unless it's on your table somewhere. So we're going to look at John chapter 14. I've just given you a, a few things to remember. So this is the upper room discourse. This is um, when Jesus has gathered his disciples. Now, up until now, Jesus has been very, very busy. Disciples following him around, doing all the stuff that he's doing. He's healing people. He's raising people from the dead. He is preaching the good news. He is, as Jack told us last week, he is a rabbi, but he's a rabbi with such authority that they have not seen before. So this is in this context, and then he calls them up to the up, what we call the upper room, and the upper room discourses where Jesus is just with his apostles, just the disciples, those closest to him, and it's time for him to really give them some instructions. It's the time where they have the Passover meal. If you um, have read this before, which I'm sure many of you have, this is where they have um, the Lord's Supper. This is, and, and the words of the institution are given that we now use all the time. Uh, this is the cup of the new covenant, my blood poured out for you. He also washes the disciples' feet as an example of what it means to truly be a servant leader. Uh, have people follow what you do, but do it in a way that you are willing to um, wash the feet. And if you knew Eastern culture, that is a, you would never do that. You just, you have slaves do that. And they can't be Jewish slaves because Jewish people cannot touch feet because feet are dirty and they go into places. Jesus does all that as a demonstration. So they, he definitely has their attention and he's teaching them. It's a long, it goes from chapter um, 13 through 17. And chapter 17 is about Jesus praying for his disciples. And I just think that's a really cool chapter if you get a chance just to read through that, that Jesus is a person of prayer and he prays for them and he prays, you know, Father, I've taught them, I've been with them, I've shown them, now, now be with them and lead them and continue with them. So that's, we're in chapter 14 and we're just at the very beginning of the chapter and it's part of his instruction to them. It begins um, also in chapter 13, just so you know, at the very end of 13, these are all in my notes, I, I know that you all just study this ferociously before you come here. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I was always like, okay, classes in five minutes, I should probably read the material. All right, so I'm, I'm going with that with you all, okay? In the last part of the first paragraph, I, uh, Jesus talks to them and he says a couple of things to them. He said, um, I'm going to be with you just a little longer and then I'm going away and where I am going, you cannot come. So if this was a person that you had hung out with for three years, they're telling you they're leaving and they're saying you can't go with them, how would you feel? Disappointed? A little anxious? Yeah, there you go. And then he says something else to them which makes them go even 
um, more uh, in depth with their um, feelings and anxieties, he turns to Peter. And Peter is like the leader of the leaders. You know, he kind of gets it. You're the son uh, of the living God. You're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You know, he gets all that. So, I mean, he is like, he's the man. He's the man, you know, that they really look to because he understands it. And, and in the passage right before this, he said to Jesus, nope, I, you know, I'll go wherever you, I'll do whatever you want. You know, I'm, this is not, nothing wrong is going to happen to you because I'm going to be with you. And, um, and I would never reject you, never, never, never. And then Jesus said, well, you know, before the, the cock crows three times, or the cock crows, you will deny me three times. And they're like, what? Verse one of chapter 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do you understand that now? It didn't come out of the blue. He's just been talking to them. He said two things that have made them incredibly anxious. One, I'm going away, and you can't go where I'm going. And secondly, Peter, your faith will not be strong enough to endure what I'm about to go through as you observe that. And that has made them anxious. Now, the wording here is, and he said, do not let your hearts be troubled. There's a language here that says, don't continue. I get anxiety. So Jesus is not denying that. He's not reprimanding them in a way that says, well, you just don't have enough faith, you just don't have it together. He wants them to know that they don't have to stay in the state of anxiety. Has that ever happened where somebody is nervous about something or anxious about something or troubled about something, and you just speak into that? You, I, it just drives me nuts when we go, oh, you don't feel that way. How would you know you don't have their feelings? Don't say that to people. Say, I can see you're anxious. But let me give you some reassurance. And that's exactly what he does here. He sees how they feel and what they're doing. I think sometimes we could learn from this, not sometimes, but we should, about being honest with how we're feeling and where we're struggling so that we can get the help that we need for people to say, I see this. Let me give you some good words. And that's what Jesus does here. He goes, believe in God, believe also in me. Now, this is the beginning of the section where he's going to talk about his relationship with the Father in heaven, his relationship with God, and he interchanges those a lot. It's very, very important. Believe in God, believe also in me. We're in this together. God and I are in this together. So as you believe in God, believe in me, and there is when the anxiety begins to dissipate because we're here for you. We're part of that for you. So Jesus, um, they're anxious. Don't let your hearts be troubled. And, and the word in, at least in the um, New Revised Standard and in most, it goes, don't let your hearts be troubled. But it's really a one-word collective, don't let your heart as a community. So it's not just that Peter's feeling badly now. The entire community gathered with Jesus, the leaders of the leaders, the apostles are all anxious. Your heart is one together. And it should teach us a little bit about knowing that when one part of the body suffers, we all suffer. So we're in this together, and he sees it there collectively. Their heart as a community of those following Jesus is troubled. So believe in God, believe also in me. He reassures them with the word believe that there is hope for them. Don't lose hope. I have, I've lost my little thumb ring. I have thumb rings, and I have one... It's somewhere. I know that I will find it, hopefully, before the good Lord calls me home. Um, and it says hope. 
And I wore it for years and years and years. And um, I lost it after our son Richard died, but I wore that thumb ring to remember to pray for Richard every day because I had hope that God would touch his life. And uh, so believe in God, believe also in me. Don't lose hope, no matter what. Do not lose hope. Now, I have faith on today. <laughs> That's good, too. All right, here we go. Um, in my Father's house, there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, so that where I am, there you may be also. Okay, so here again, central to this passage is the Father. It's used several times. Several times the word Father is used. The Father is essential. The Father is important. So we're in this whole series where we're talking about who Jesus is, what Jesus does. But Jesus does the will of the Father. Let's not lose sight of God our Father in heaven. And sometimes, you know, I grew up Baptist, and so it was all Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. The um, great ring. I like your ring. Um, good church bells. Um, it has, um, in the Pentecostal, it's, you know, the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. Presbyterians are big on God. We say theology, you know, God, God, God. They're all important. They're all together. They're all one God. But Father is so essential in this passage. Jesus wants them to know that his whole po point in coming is to reconcile us to God. When we do our communion prayers, um, if you will note, if we're doing it in the kind of the classic sense, so if you're Episcopalian, this would make sense to you, Methodist, Lutheran, Presbyterian, we kind of go through history as we pray, that in the beginning God created the earth, he created us to be in relationship with him, uh, nevertheless we blew it, so then he sends to us, and we're praying this, Lord, you've sent us, you sent us you know, judges to help us, show us the way. Even when you rescued us out of Egypt, you gave us commandments so that we would follow you. And then you gave us um, kings and prophets all along trying to call us back to you, but we were a hard-necked people. And then you sent your son. You came in the flesh, in the person of Jesus Christ, and in obedience. He died on the cross for us. So we go through that in communion to remember the relationship that Jesus came to make us right with God the Father in heaven. So we're using that, um, and we're seeing that here in this passage in 14, okay? Um, and it says, <clears throat> not only is the Father central and used many times, but in my Father's place there are many, in my Father's house there are many dwelling places. So it's mansions, if you have an NIV, and we all get lost right there, guys. We all get distracted by what that dwelling place will be. It's really cute if you read, um, I think it's Barclay who said, you know, we think about, um, you know, the big mansions, but a more modern person might say, well, you're in a flat. You know, if you're in England, he's making all these flats. He's preparing these flats for you. It's, we get distracted by that because we think, what is it going to be like? And some of us are really nervous because we think, well, I don't know what will it be like. <laughs> what kind of a house will I have? You've, you've lost the point. Don't go there. It really is about Jesus. I'm going to read this from Dale Bruner. I'm so excited. Next week I get to be up at Fuller Theological Seminary. We have a, a group that we um, meet with. <clears throat> Dale Bruner is, a, he's 88. Many of you know him because he's come to our church and he's taught. He has a Gospel of Matthew. He has a Gospel of John. I think um, 
Jack has referred to him when he's taught here. So he's kind of the cat's meow. Well, this next week we're studying the Holy Spirit and we're studying Dale Bruner's book. And Dale Bruner has kind of globbed on to our group. So he's kind of our resident theologian who sits with us every week and goes through this. So we are like blessed beyond belief. He's one of the most humble men. By the way, he finished this book of John that he wrote, the commentary, in 2012 when he was 80 years old. So, what are your plans for when you <laughs> Don't think about retirement when it comes to the gospel, Lord. Okay, here we go. So, <clears throat> here's the point. When Jesus is talking about uh, God and his estate and the people of God, he's talking about a dwelling place in terms of being with Jesus. It's about a person, not a place, in that sense. And we get very, very caught up on what that heaven is going to be like. Um, he's he's um, talking to them clearly, and I just want to read this if I can. Um, when we call heaven, John's Jesus calls where I am. The definition of heaven is where I am. He refers to himself in the description here of taking disciples to his father's estate no fewer than nine times. If it's in Greek, it's about 13. Um, heaven in John's gospel is most simply the real presence of Jesus Christ himself with his people. Do you get that? Okay, so that's going to help us because um, in our next life, most simply compact, intimate, and adequate definition that it's being with Jesus fully, totally. So when Jesus goes to prepare a place, then he says something else. I'm coming back and taking you with me. And there you have the word that's in, um, on here. Jesus promised he's coming back, the parousia. That is the Greek. It literally means to be beside you. So we can face a lot of things in life when we take someone with us. Am I right? If you've ever going to... It's like it's, um, our, our children love it when we would get them together to tell them what they were doing wrong and what they were doing right. They felt like, okay, we have an army here. There's three of us. What can they do to us? And I'm like, well, there are two of us, and we're bigger, just so you know. <laughs> but it's that feeling of confidence. Well, I'm with you. I'm coming with you. But the whole language, Jesus is you. And refer to your notes, please. I need to slow down. Okay. First, you're not going to be forgotten. See, the biggest fear is that I'm going away, and where I'm going, you cannot come. I'm anxious. Are you going to forget me? Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many places, there are many dwellings. I go to prepare a place for you. Where's Jesus going? Jesus is going to the cross. I am going to prepare. I'm going to give myself on your behalf. But I'm coming back. I'm going to take you with me once I've made a place for you, my being on that cross for you. Okay, so the parousia, there are a few things. It's often used to signify an arrival of some kind of dignitary, something important. So it's important when that person is coming. And I will be there. I am coming back. I'm going to be alongside you. And it's used several times in Scripture. And... Um, 
it can refer to this. So after the resurrection, there are many visits recorded in scripture, as you know, when Jesus, he, he kind of shows up in an, in an upper room. They're, they're kind of sequestered in. Everything's locked. They're in a safe place and they're praying and Jesus just comes through the door after his resurrection. The door's never open. He just appears. Remember, he eats fish with them. There's a physical presence of Jesus. He's shown to many, many people. So there are visits from Jesus. Is that what this is referring to, the periousia? Is it... Um, is it about um, the presence of the Holy Spirit, which is Christ? I am sending you my spirit that will indwell you. Is that the, is that the periousia? Is that the coming of back? Or is it when Jesus returns to gather all his people together? And we would say in the context of John here, that's what he's referring to, not to lose sight of the other. That after the resurrection, Jesus is seen. Jesus promises the Holy Spirit. Sure enough, the Holy Spirit shows up. How do we know not because of our behavior, but because of the indwelling Holy Spirit. That's what we ask, that the Holy Spirit indwells us and leads us and guides us. We need only pay attention. <laughs> we only pay attention to that. Okay, so it's, a, um, it's an emphasis that there is no need to remain anxious. Once again, do you see how he builds on that? I know how you feel, but believe in God, believe in me, going to prepare a place for you. I'm on that way to the cross, but I will come back and I will gather you and we'll go together. There's a sense of going together. I love road trips. I wish my husband did, but I love road trips. I love only because I'm going with someone. It's so much fun. It's so much better than how does time fly when somebody is with you? I'm, I'm coming with you. I'm going. There's such security there that I could see where the, the disciples are going, okay, Okay, you think it's really, it's really going to be good, but then here we go. Um, let's look at verse 4. And you know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Good old Thomas. Now this is doubting Thomas that later said, you know, unless I see the wounds in his hands and touch his side. I'm not going to believe. I love Thomas because he says what we all feel, but he kind of says it out loud. So he goes, we have no idea where you're going. We just have no idea where you're, where you're going, and, and so help us understand. And so Jesus does. In these verses, and this is, um, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This dialogue is, um, it tells us that sometimes we're just kind of, it's there, it's present, it's known, it's kind of like me with math, it should be so simple, it takes me forever. You know, it's just right, for some people it's like it's right there, it's so obvious, but it's not necessarily to everyone. And for Thomas, he's speaking for all of them. He's brave enough to say, we don't know where you're going. And Jesus, how do we know the way? How do we, how do we know the way that you're talking about? And Jesus said, I am the way. Beyond that, I am the truth and I am the life. And um, the, it's a pivotal verse. It's a holistic statement. Del Brunner says again, it, it just touches every, every person in the whole world by what they want. And he uses the example... It's true in Taoism, they, it's, a, it's a journey you're on. 
and you're finding your way on that journey, you know, and you're trying to do what is right and what is good, not a bad idea, you know, you're, but you're on this journey together. It's, and that's a very Eastern, uh, Eastern religion to this, you know, you're, you're on this path, you know, hopefully a good path, and you're, you're, you're on your way there. But no, I am the way. I, you know, I am the way. And we talk about the truth, Greek thought, and I always think, you know, very Western culture, they had a, the goddess of truth, um, Vertus, but we think of truth or self-knowledge. We love to collect knowledge. I mean, I love to study. I'm slow at it, but I do love to study. But it's not good if I'm not going to do anything with it. But there's a seeking of the truth. We're always wanting to know truth. Uh, I'm trying, I think it was Hawkins who said, I don't, um, he was seeking out um, faith and talking about it. And um, he wanted to know. I just don't want to believe it. I want to know. It was that knowledge that, that what is the truth out there? And so very, very much we get that. So we get that people are on this, their path. They want to know the way. How do I get there? Boy, what's my journey? And the other is what is truth? And it's now we say truth is relative. Not we personally, but the world says truth is relative. It's whatever you think it should be. Well, that's not what Jesus said. It's not what we believe. Jesus said, I am the, the way and I am the truth. And then the entire world wants life, life abundant, and they want to know at the very end of the day, the very end of life, is it really just over? Is my life just what it is now, or is there more to it? I have spent oftentimes with people who um, the Lord's about to call home. These are people who know Jesus and love Jesus, but they get anxious. <laughs> and so they might say something like, I hope I'm good enough. You know, I hope I'm good enough to go and, and dwell with Jesus, spend my life there. And I, I've never said this, I'm, and I, I've shared it with you before, and you probably, I'm sure, remember it because it's such a cheeky thing to say, but I never say it out loud. No, you're not good enough. You know, I hope I'm good enough. Nope, you're not. And it's not very good on a person's deathbed to say that to them. But isn't that true? Is that not true? I hope I'm good enough. You're not. That's why we have Jesus. That's why we need Jesus, because Jesus is the one. I am going to prepare a place. I am going for you, and I'm coming to gather you back. Don't, don't be anxious, and I am the way, and I am the truth, and I am the life, and let me tell you, that's a hard pill to swallow for a lot of people. Boy, is that exclusive. Christo-exclusivity is what um, Bruner has coined here. I'm on, if you're wondering where I am, I'm on the back page. Sometimes I wonder where I am. Okay. The Father gives witness to the uniqueness of Jesus' divinity. Again, there is a relationship with Jesus and the Father that he continues to talk about. I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Christo-exclusivity. That's the coin used. Now here's our dilemma, or here's our problem, and you get to discuss it <laughs> in your groups. Come back and tell me how that went, okay? 
We live in a very pluralistic society. So once again, as long as you are sincere about what you believe, then it's true. Hitler was pretty sincere about what he believed. Now, you don't all have to be bad, like Hitler, to be misguided. But the pluralism of our society would say there are many paths and many ways, and you can do that. And I understand that because we want to be polite, we want to be nice, but is that the truth? There is an inclusivity that also says, boy, as long as you're a good person, or, you know, pretty much God has is, is captured everyone because Jesus came to die for everyone, John 3.16. I don't think any of us would argue with that. But Jesus said... No one comes to the Father except through me. That exclusivity. So here we have, we live in this, this tension, I think, between the pluralism, between exclusivity and inclusivity. And where is Jesus in the midst of this? Jesus is in the midst of this, this is Jan speaking here, in a very anxious world saying, don't be troubled, you're trying to figure this out and I've already done this for you now. But I am that way, that truth and the life. And the relationship that you desire with the Father comes through me because the Father and I are close. The Father and I, if you've seen the Father, you've seen me. We'll look at that in a moment. And I've used this in sermons before, and it, it's just good. <laughs> it's just good theology. I didn't think about it, but it's really good. Look at the cross up there on the wall. I don't know if you could film that, but the cross up there on the wall, it's the vertical beam on that, if you think about the cross at Calvary, it goes deep in the ground. If it didn't, it wouldn't hold up. But boy, it reaches to the heavens. It reaches to the heavens. And that's what Jesus is doing. On the cross, that Christ for us, bridging that gap for us, it's where I'm going, to make it so that you can be with me forever. But his arms are pretty, that's pretty also. <laughs> but his arms are so wide, painfully, pain, painfully wide on that cross. Christ alone decides, not you or me. We have to be very careful. Now we know the gospel, we read the word, we know the truth, we see it, we study it, we follow it, we join as a community in the sacraments, we take communion together, we baptize into faith those. We are part of a community that also goes out into the world with the great news that Jesus, out of his love for us, has made possible the relationship that has been broken since the beginning, nearly. It was all perfect, and it all went wrong. But don't be anxious. Believe in God, believe also in me, because I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to gather you. I will dwell there. He gives that assurance. So the exclusivity, Jesus on the cross for the entire world, and the inclusivity, 
is that his arms are wide enough for everyone. Years ago at a conference, um, it was explained what happens to that person way up in the mountains of Tibet, never heard the gospel. What happens to them? Now, I haven't been to Tibet, but my brother has been, and it's pretty doggone isolated up there in the mountains. And, they, and they're vegetarians, so when you're climbing at that height, then you're burning so many calories a day, you're, you're weak and you're hungry and you're thinking, please just go find a chicken for dinner, <laughs> something up there. But you're feeling pretty alone. What would be the response of a Tibetan in the hills, all isolated, who cries out, God have mercy on me, a sinner. Or anybody else who maybe does not yet know the story of Jesus. Is that not the inclusivity of God that hears that heart that cries out? Jesus comes for us. Take away that anxiety. For us, we know it by the word, we know it by the communion and sacraments, and we know it by our mission to go out and to share that good news. But we cannot limit how and what God will do through Jesus Christ in our world. I want to be a part of that. I never want to lose sight of proclaiming Christ, Christ crucified, until he comes again. All right. Verses 7 through 11. If you know me, you know my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Now, for those guys, they physically were with Jesus. And after the resurrection, they physically saw Jesus. This is not a trick question. How do we see Jesus today? And it is a real question again. <laughs> How do we see Jesus today? Oh, I'm looking at Jesus all over this room. <laughs> That's why later in this chapter, and I studied all the way through, it said, you'll do more than I can do because there's more of us. Jesus indwells us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is with us. You have seen Jesus. Don't hide Jesus. I wish I had my phone with me. Somebody posted, um, I, I vacillate between reading Facebook and, and getting off Facebook. Um, but it had a statement, and I'm not going to get it exactly correctly, but I, I thought it was a, a well-said statement, that we keep trying to be more of us as Christians rather than having more of Jesus shine through us. And I think that's a good word. You know, we think, oh, well, I just need more of me. No, we need more of Jesus indwelling us because that is that presence. That is that, that power of Jesus in there. So then, if you've seen the Father, you have seen me. So here we go. Now we have Philip. I love the fact that Jack named them Phil, Nate, and Nick. That just cracks me up. So we have Tom, and now we have Phil again. 
So Phil, who has really shined brightly, let me tell you, he like got, he saw Jesus, he understood who he was, he called Nathaniel, come and see this person. I mean, he's shining, he's a shining, and in the, the story of the um, feeding of the 5,000, it's Philip that at least had a tiny bit of faith, so never, never discount your tiny bit of faith. And he comes to Jesus and he goes, well, there's a little boy here who has like, you know, two fish and five loaves of bread. That's just a tiny bit of faith. I love Philip that he does that. Okay, this is not a good moment for Philip, just so you know. So Philip says, Philip said to him, Lord, show us a father and we will be satisfied. This is when I think Jesus' countenance just went, oh. Fully human, fully divine. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you all this time, Philip? and you still do not know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father? I just lost my place. And the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own, but the Father who dwells in me does his work. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. But if you do not, then believe me because of the works themselves. So he, he's kind of, Phil, <laughs> let's have what I call a come to Jesus moment. <laughs> come on, Philip. I love that Philip is asking. Ask questions. I, the scariest thing about me is that we will... Just sit and never ask the questions or never challenge. But not me today. Do that later. <laughs> but challenge what you read, what you know. God is, I think God delights in that because it means we're thinking. What does my faith mean? And how do I live that out? And what is God asking me to do? Even in, what is God asking me to believe about him? Um, once again, Jesus is showing. So you see how many times we've seen that, the name Father. Father, Father. He's again, he's reiterating the relationship that he has with the Father. Um, and, and he's using that um, to know Jesus is to know the Father, to know God Almighty. That's the whole point. It, it's to know God. Don't you know the Father and I are one? Believe in me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Now, John is a theologian. He has the, the statements that he makes, um, and it's in your notes about the I am statements. There's one more statement after the one we see, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Um, Jack spoke about it a couple of weeks ago when he said, I am the vine. But here we have, we have um, I am the bread of life, the good shepherd, the door, the resurrection of life, the true vine, and the way, the truth, and the life. I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. When you see me, you've seen the Father. So he reassures him with that. And then he, he said, um, today we know for us, not just how people look at us and they see Jesus, but we know Jesus by his word and by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And we experience that oftentimes in the community. And the community of faith is so important and essential to us. 
Um, but we know because of what the Word has told us, we know by the empowering of the Holy Spirit, we know Jesus. And people see Jesus when they see us, hopefully. <laughs> they do. They do. Trust, trust who you are with people that you really are a witness to Jesus. Be strong, not in what you have to offer, but what in Christ has to offer in you. And then he said, Jesus and the Father speaks the Father's word and does the Father's work, not his own. So when he said, if you don't believe me, believe in the works that you have seen me do. And those are the Father's works. Those are not Jesus' works. They're not for the sake of Jesus. They're for the sake of knowing that God has sent Jesus, Jesus incarnate. He heals people. He raises people from the dead. He um, proclaims, as I said earlier, and the way in which you have to believe in what you have seen, the works that you have seen, that alone should let you know that I am from the Father. There are unique works. What is also unique about Jesus is the I am statement. The Father and I. I am in the Father and the Father is in me. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. He's giving them the assurance they need because he's going away for a little while. And even though Peter is going to blow it big time, the story is never over. So in your errors and your foibles and in your sin in your life, your story's not over because Jesus' story is not over. Jesus has done the work that Jesus needs to do, but that story needs to go out. And that's a story that's not over yet, that we have to share, that we have to know. So Peter becomes one of the, the um, pillars of the church. And if he had just stopped at the time that he denied Christ, not only would not have a book, would not have the witness, what would have happened in the book of Acts? It would be a very thin book for the first eight or nine chapters. Don't ever underestimate the way that God can use you and know you and live in you. But Jesus comes and says, don't be anxious. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And you'll come to the Father through me, that intimate relationship. Now here's the deal. So Jesus, not a place but a person. Jesus, the indwelling. So here's our tension. Because Jesus, if we're looking at Christ coming back, the new Jerusalem that's from the new heaven, the new earth, this is our earth. It gets, it gets made better. But, you know, give up that, you know, here, for some of us who don't sing, I'm really, really glad I don't spend my time in heaven singing in the clouds because it would not be a pretty place. <laughs> who we are and what we do is important, significant now and always, always. We're in relationship with Jesus. Jesus has not returned, so nothing is perfect. It's the kingdom present, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and the kingdom coming as Christ returns. He's assuring them of both, that I am going away, I am coming back, I'm going to take you to myself, you'll be with me forever. I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Believe this, believe in me, believe in the Father. Thanks be to God. Okay, so that is, um, that is a great, it's like the Tibetan, it's like something else. The only difficulty I have with that, Marilyn, and it's not the people that have never heard, it's our 
um, idea that, which is true, God is a gracious God, and God looks at the heart of the person. I think inside every single one of us, there's a hole <laughs> that is created because of sin, and we're always trying to fill it. We try and fill it by the by truth, whatever we think that is. We try and fill it by the way in which we go. We try and fill it with an abundance of life, of things, or whatever. Um, but our desire is to know Christ and to make Christ known in the world. I, yeah. So, so for those people in Tibet, I'd love to find a way to go and to share the good news that, you know, that prayer that you prayed, Lord, help me, a sinner, you can, you can experience that now fully. And so, yes, God is in control. We are not. And we, we can ask, I ask more of, of Christians, kind of like the way John Calvin did, are you sure you know Jesus because your behavior doesn't look like it <laughs> sometimes. But um, I ask that question more, but in terms of who's in and who's out, Jesus said never do that. But I can say that Jesus is the one that will make that happen. Because of his saving work on the cross, that is our guarantee. And that's what we want to make known to the world and to all the world knows. That's why we have missionaries in places that they have never heard of Jesus. Um, but God's grace is sufficient. For us, we know. And we live what we know. Um, and we live that out. Yes. You are, you are a good Reformed theologian there. Yeah, if God wants you, God will get you. There you go. Um, God is so much bigger than we think. But folks, I'm looking at you and thinking you know Jesus. You want to give that up? I don't think I would make it a day. It's like once you know, once you know Jesus, your life begins to be changed and continues. That dwelling place is you, folks. And it will be completed, finished at Christ's return. And I, I know that scripture. Every knee shall bow, every tongue confess. I just love to be a part of helping that happen now. And your sweet faces of Jesus is how we do that. I encourage you to look at 12 through 14 because it's vexing, because Jesus said you're going to do even greater things than I will do. And I'm like, I don't think so, Jesus. I, you know, I really haven't raised anyone from the dead. <laughs> I haven't, you know. Um, and I have seen people healed. Um, I've seen people come to Christ that you think would never come to Christ. So I've seen that work. But it's because we can go, right? Jesus was kind of in one place being fully human. But he sends us out into the world. And that's how we do greater things. Uh, we do that with, if I'm serving the cup, I always say, you will do greater things than I have done, and it comes from this text. Those who abide in me, and I in them. That's what we want to do. Other questions, thoughts? This is really fun, because you guys are like, you're not asking questions, you're telling me what I should have taught you. This is wonderful. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Let me pray you out of fear, and I do pray um, for you and your witness, and I pray that that there would be more of Jesus and um, in me shining through. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for this passage. It's vexing in some ways. Lord, it seems just so exclusive. Lord, Lord, so exclusive. 
And yet I think about your arms, Lord Jesus, way stretched out there, and how inclusive that no one, no one will ever be turned away from you. Those who believe, help our unbelief, Lord, when we are weak, when we are anxious. So often it's just the little things in life, Lord, that make us anxious, and yet you are there for us guiding us, helping us, helping us release that anxiety that we might trust you, that you indeed who dwell in us, that dwelling place. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen.